0: Okay, just a couple of things before we get started. Uh, This Sunday, October 1st, I used to like going there, but I'm usually speaking in Spokane. This year, I'm not speaking until the week after that in Spokane. So I'll be here this next Sunday, October 1st, uh, the life chain uh, for the Choose Life, the pro-life movement. And uh, it's going to be from 2 p.m. to 3.15 p.m. So after church, if you get a chance, I know if, if Kathy feels well, the two of us will go out there, and we usually get a good turnout. We used to get in the old days; we used to get twenty, thirty of our people would be out there, holding signs and just just somebody standing up for the unborn. Yeah, it's going to be uh, Silverdale Way and and Ridge Top, right in that area. We just go there; they'll tell us where exactly to stand. They have signs for us to hold up and and things of that sort. So that's a good thing, and um. um also, uh, Pat wants me to announce the, if you want to donate online, um, you go to, you know, www.trinitybiblefellowship.org, www.trinitybiblefellowship.org, and hit the donate button, and then you just follow the prompts. Uh, I'm not a tech guy, so I don't even know what prompts means, so, um, but, uh, um, but yeah, if that make it a little easier for people to give, that'd be a good thing, and, uh, Uh, But I really recommend you look into the the life chain. Uh, It's a really good, good work of the Lord. Okay, uh, open up the second Thessalonians chapter one, and we're going to pick up at verse three to uh, look at verses three and four. Second Thessalonians chapter one, and we're going to start at verses three and four, and let's go to the the Lord one more time uh, for a word of prayer. Father in Jesus precious name, you've given us you're infallible, you're totally true, your pure word in the scriptures, uh, but then you call fallible humans to proclaim your perfect word, and so I pray that uh today uh the people would not hear from this pulpit fake news uh they would hear your truth proclaimed. And so I pray, Lord, you would cancel the, the fallible man and that you would anoint me and fill me with your spirit so that I would rightly interpret your word and pro- proclaim your truth and encourage and exhort uh, your sheep that are here, Lord, the flock that is here so that we could apply these truths to our lives. Help us to understand your truth and apply your truth so we could be all that you call us to be. Um, for your glory and through your power. Lord, we love you. And as the times get difficult in the future and freedom of speech and freedom of religion gets stamped down, just give us the courage and the wisdom to know how you want us to share our faith and how you want us to disciple one another. And I pray, Lord, that when churches can no longer meet in buildings, you would build a strong underground church in America so that we could meet secretly, if we need to, in the homes. But uh, you said the gates of Hades would not prevail against your church. So we thank you, Lord. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Okay, so Second Thessalonians chapter 1. And uh, remember, Paul greeted the Thessalonians with his, his greeting of grace and peace, joining together the Gentile Greek greeting with the Jewish greeting, kind of the shalom of the Jews, the 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 peace. The word in the Greek is Irene, and then charis of the Greeks. He believes he's the apostle to the Gentiles, but he's Jewish. He believes in one church, Jew and Gentile, and uh, and he and he he wishes this grace and peace upon them from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus is called the Christ because he's the Jewish Messiah. That's what the Christ means the one anointed by God to rescue the nation of Israel. And that's what he'll do at his return. And, uh, but he also came to save mankind from their sins. But he's also called the Lord. He's called Yahweh, the I am who I am, who spoke to Moses from the burning bush. In the Greek, it's kurios, but that was the most common way for the Jews to translate Yahweh Uh, when they put together the Greek Septuagint a couple hundred years before Jesus walked the earth. And so now Paul in verses 3 and 4, he commends, he compliments and encourages the Thessalonians for their faith and their love. So let me read verses 3 and 4. We just touched on this last week, but I really want to break it down and reinforce it with some other passages Verses 3 and 4, we are bound to thank God always for you. Brethren, as it is fitting, because your faith grows exceedingly and the love of every one of you all abounds toward each other. So that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. Okay? And, you know, I mean, you know, Paul commends them for their faith and love in the midst. Their patience, faith and love in the midst of suffering and persecution. Now, Many of us in this church, we've already proven that we can be some, maybe some of us haven't. That's that's between you and the Lord. Go let the Lord go to work on you there. But maybe a lot of us have proven our patience, faith and love. But have we really done that in the midst of suffering and persecution? We are so spoiled in the American church. I've, in fact, I, I would argue that the mantra, the main mantra of the American church is avoid suffering at all costs. Avoid suffering at all costs. You know, we think you feel a little bit of pain here. You got to take meds or you got to do this. You gotta, no, not necessarily. I mean, uh, you know, we got to get the memo. This creation is fallen. We're going to suffer. We're going to experience pain. You have to pain so bad you can't do what God called you to do. You can't take care of your family. You might have to go see the doctor. You might have to, hopefully they can fix what's wrong. If they can't do that, you might have to take some medication to get you through the day so you can be all that God called you to be. Praise God that he gave us the wisdom to find uh, solutions to some of these problems. But the fact of the matter is, a life totally without pain? That's when Jesus comes back. Okay? The American churches hasn't gotten the memo. The rest of the world, the Christians around the globe are suffering. And Western civilization that was built on the principles of Christianity is hated by the political leaders today because of Christianity and its influence on Western civilization. So they're trying to bring it down. I'm telling you, when America falls, there's no place to run. So many people fled to America to escape suffering. When the suffering and persecution comes here, there's no place to go but on your knees before the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Um, Paul commends them for their faith and love. He and his colleagues always pray for the Thessalonian believers. You know, I get get convicted when I hear Paul saying that all the time because I'm not always praying for fellow believers. You know, Um, we were supposed to pray for our leaders, most of whom. I don't know if you got the memo there, but most of whom are not believers. We were supposed to pray for them. But Paul was a man. He prayed without ceasing. He prayed always and he thanked God for the Thessalonian believers due to their growing faith and abounding love. Let me ask you this. Members of Trinity Bible Fellowship, do you want your faith to grow? Amen. Do you want your love for the brethren, love for God, and love for the brethren to grow? Amen. Are you willing to suffer and die for Jesus? And it's kind of harder to say that last amen. But it's a package deal. I'll be honest with you, brothers and sisters, okay? I mean, it's a... uh I wouldn't call it an absolute rule, you know, but I would say it's a very general rule, okay, that the more a person suffers for Christ, the more rewards in heaven he or she will receive. Let me repeat that. The more a person suffers for Christ, the more rewards in heaven uh, he or she will receive. Now, I'm going to bring up some passages that deal with that. But this American idea, it affects every aspect of, of our walks with the Lord and our views of life and this and that. Um, you know, this, this idea, avoid suffering at all costs. No, it, it's, it's kind of like weightlifting. No pain, no gain. I used to know guys, not everybody wants to get big. All the guys I grew up with back in guy in New Jersey, they wanted to get big. And some of them got big. They were the guys that were willing to go through all the pain and all the discipline of hard workouts, okay? But there were a lot of guys I grew up back in Essex County, New Jersey. They wanted to get big, but they didn't want to go through all the pain of working out. And they either stayed small or they got big in a different way than they intended, okay? But no pain, no gain. That's what works. You know, the Bible is filled with passages. We're going to look at a few of them. where we grow through suffering. We grow through persecution, okay? The first 300 years in the history of the church, it was all about the church being persecuted for their faith, okay? And, um, and so Paul thanks God always for the Thessalonian believers for their, due to their growing faith and abounding love. And he's going to add patience to the picture too, patience and perseverance and endurance under trials, But their faith was growing. again, Paul spent three weeks there. Now, a little bit later, he sent Timothy back and probably spent a few months, okay? This is not, with Thessalonians, we're not talking about Trinity Bible Fellowship that's been around since 1988. I know most of us weren't here way back then, but most of us here have been here, what, five, 10, 15, maybe some of you 20 years. Can you imagine Paul complimenting us for how much we've grown in our faith and our love for God and our love for the brethren and our patience and our endurance if we've been saved like less than a year. Okay? How did they grow? They were on the fast track for growth. What's the fast track for growth? Suffering. Suffering. We have... uh, you know we have Christians who have been you know saved like myself for like over forty years and uh and I, I bet right now there's some some brother or sister in the Lord in Nigeria that is more spiritually mature. They probably can't quote as much of the Bible as I can, but they're probably probably more spiritually mature, closer to Jesus than I am, and they've only been saved for a year. Why? Because you say yes to Jesus. The world declares war on you. About almost fifty percent of Nigerians are Christians. The other fifty percent are militant Muslims. Many of whom uh, work for Boko Haram. They're slaughtering Christians left and right. It's the thing you're not know, gonna see in the media how Christians are being slaughtered all over the world. And um, you know we had five sermons on that, uh, the coming persecution, um, but. You know, but but Paul is basically saying, man, you, your faith keeps growing and growing. So, well, Paul, they've been saved less than a year. How is their faith growing and growing? Because they're remaining true to Jesus despite the persecution. See, their faith is being tested. Most of us in this room, our faith has barely been tested. Okay? God's word says that all uh, who desire to live godly lives We'll be persecuted. We just, you know, people called us names a few times. We go home, we cry on our pillows. Maybe it intimidates us to silence or whatever. Okay. Um, but whatever whatever the case, this was the growth, was being willing to suffer for the Lord Jesus. You know, 2 Corinthians 5.15 says, and he died for all that they who live, should no longer live for themselves, but for him, him who died and rose again on their behalf. So we need to be living for Jesus. That's the only way I know to give me confidence that when everything comes down and persecution, full-blown persecution of the church comes down, the only way I can be confident that I'll be able to uh, stay true to Jesus when persecution comes, that I'll be willing to die for Jesus when things get bad, is if right now I'm living for Jesus when things are pretty good. Things are still pretty good. I mean, look, we get to meet here, and right now the Gestapo is not breaking down the doors, okay? It might not be that way. next. You, you appreciate the freedom you got left. It might not be that way next year, okay? And, um, and so, uh, but they were growing in leaps and bounds. Now, why is it important that, that they grow, their faith grows exceedingly, and the love of every one of you all abounds towards each other? Their faith is growing, their love is growing. Let me show you one of the reasons why that's incredibly important, okay? Look at Romans 3:31. Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 3 and verse 31. After Paul establishes that none of us will be righteous by obeying God's law, rather through the law, we become conscious of our sin. Paul can then say this in verse 31 of Romans 3. Do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. So what he's saying is we're not we can't save ourselves by obeying the law But Jesus perfectly obeyed the law and then died as a substitute sacrifice for our sins, rose from the dead and conquered death for us. Okay, but once we're saved through faith, not through our own strength. If if you're a believer and you're still trying to obey. God's laws through your own strength, the law is going to do what it's intended to do. It's going to smack you down and say, who are you to offer up Cain's sacrifice? Who are you? To, all, to, to try to build another tower of Babel, okay? Um, we can't please God in our own strength. So what do we do? We trust in the Lord Jesus, faith. Trust in the Lord Jesus, not just for salvation, but for guidance in daily living through his word. Trust in him for the power to live the overcoming life. This is why James could say in James 2.26, Just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. True saving faith will produce good works, okay? But it's not like, you know, Christianity is not a list of rules and regulations, okay? Christianity is a personal love, trust, relationship, love, and faith with the Lord Jesus Christ so that it's not like I should wake up every morning and say, what, what rules do I have to obey this morning? I should wake up every each morning and become reacquainted with my Savior, King Jesus. Get in his word, a little devotional time in his word, a little devotional time of prayer. If you're somebody who likes to sing all the time, maybe sing a little praise song to them, hopefully not waking everybody else up in the house, depending on when you get up in the morning. But you do those things, get the Holy Spirit, you'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then it becomes natural to walk in the Supernatural. And so it's not like, what are you going to do and what are you not going to do today? I mean, making, I'm not anti-making goals and all, but when in the end, it's about who you walking with today? Are you walking with King Jesus? Are you walking with the world? Okay? What are you going to say? Where are you going to go? Well, what does Jesus want you to say? Where does Jesus want you to go? It's a personal love, trust relationship with the Lord Jesus. Uh, look at—I uh, uh, just turn forward to Romans thirteen, verse ten. Romans thirteen and verse ten. Paul says this: lo- Romans thirteen, verse ten. Love does no harm to a neighbor; therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Look at uh, Mark twelve thirty and thirty one. This is our school verse for the year, school passage for the year at Crosspoint. Mark chapter twelve verses thirty and thirty one. Uh, In fact, if we start at, they ask, which is the most important commandment of all? And then we start in verse 29. Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, Yahweh our Elohim, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second, like it, is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Okay. See, there's over 600 laws in the Old Testament. They're summed up in the Ten Commandments. Okay. In the book of Exodus, the first four deal with us and our relationship with God. The last six deal with our relationship with other human beings, our neighbors. So Jesus sums up, the Ten Commandments, which sums up the 600 laws, Jesus sums it up as loving God with everything you got and loving your neighbors yourself. Now, we need some guidance on that. So kind of the mega moral absolutes of loving God with everything you got, loving your neighbors yourself, unfold into other moral laws that we need to obey at all times and all places, okay? And, um, and we can see how that we can get direction from the word but we obey the spirit of the law. The spirit of the law is loving God and loving your neighbor and living a life by faith, trusting in the Lord Jesus, not just for salvation, but for guidance and power for daily living. Okay. That's obeying the spirit of the law. So the letter of the law might say, don't work on the Sabbath day. Spirit of the law says, if you can help that guy, help him. Okay. And, um, and that's what the rules and regulations is not for us to earn salvation. It's to show us we're sinners who need to be saved. And then once we're saved, they can give us good guidance. But we got to be empowered by God through trusting in the Lord Jesus, through the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit, and through the motive of loving God with everything we got, which we can only do if the Holy Spirit indwells us, and loving our neighbors ourselves. We can only do that if the Holy Spirit indwells us. So the reason why Paul is so grateful that these people are growing in their faith and growing in their love is because obedience equals faith plus love in action. Let me repeat that. Obedience equals faith plus love in action. The idea that we're going to obey God in our own strength after being saved is about as dumb as they were as a, trying to obey God in your own strength before you get saved. Okay. Anything not led by the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit, is still a dead work. Okay? And uh now God could still work the, the dumb choices we make in life. He could still work it for our good, but that's learning the hard way. But here, their faith, the faith and love was growing. In the hearts of these new believers, the Thessalonians, due to what? Due to persecution. Okay, our faith cannot grow without suffering. No pain, no gain. And by the way, you know, Dr. Norman Geisler, my wife and I were watching the documentary on him and and where they interviewed a lot of his former students and and, uh, some of them wanted me even interviewed, but we just never, I didn't know his son David that well back then, but in the... In the movie, it shows this guy that his whole life dedicated to the Lord, to defending the faith. He went to be with the Lord, and uh, while we were on that that cruise uh, with the Moors, and and um, and uh, Doctor Geisler died back then. But you know, nobody nobody threw rocks at him, nobody beat him up. But when he was in his late eighties, I would see him at conferences, or I'd be speaking, he'd be speaking. He's kind of like one of the keynote speakers. I'm one of the little unknown guys that was speaking. And uh, But I'd see how hard it was. You know, he'd sit down, he'd be out of breath, and he'd stand up, and you'd have to help him walk sometimes. And so sometimes we suffer for the Lord, and just in that uh, maybe our bodies can only handle a a 30-hour work week, and we got to work 60. Um, Paul would beat his body into, he would work his body uh, to make sure he's in shape to be all that God called him to be. And this is a guy who'd been battered and beaten. You know, some people would probably try to say, maybe you should stop working out. You're so beat up and all, and you're getting old and blah, blah, blah. But, uh, Hey, nobody bounced rocks off my head. I haven't been scourged three times. I haven't been shipwrecked a few times yet. Paul would still discipline. I don't know if he did push-ups or what he did, but he made sure he was fit enough to preach the gospel. And, um, so sometimes that suffering just comes in the wear and tear of being all that God called you to be. If you're a carpenter to take care of your family, you get tired. You feel like throwing in the towel. You know, I visit the Social Security website every other day trying to find out if my benefits went up a little and can't wait. I'm, I'm counting the days until I'm old enough to get the, the full thing and stuff. But, um, you know, my dad, he worked as an electrician. He was battered and beaten. He used to call it lumbago back then when his back would go out, and he'd moan and groan. He's like me. You know, my wife, she's she handles pain pretty good, but I moan and groan if I'm in pain. You know it. You can hear me groaning from across the room. When my dad was like that. He'd be. You think it was Job uh, on his deathbed over there, and uh, but he'd be moaning and groaning because he was he was terrified that he wasn't gonna be able to get back to work. And after a couple weeks, he'd get strong enough and get back to work, and he did 35 years with the. You know, was an electrician for Essex County, New Jersey, had a good retirement, retired at age sixty five, lived almost another twenty four years after that. Lived like a king, too. And uh and um I mean I mean he didn't have a big house or anything, but but he just you know, my sister Marie took care of him after he retired, once he got too old and you know, he'd have his coffee and donuts and 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 she'd take him on his doctor's appointments and Every time the doctors would tell him he's going to die, he'd say, "Yeah, you're not God. You don't know what I'm, I'm going to die when God wants me to die." And and um, so, uh, but whatever the case, sometimes just going through life, we suffer. Okay, we Americans know that, but that doesn't mean that's all there's going to be for us. Doctor Geisler died in 2019. Um, things are a lot worse right now, and they're going to. He died right before COVID came out, and the government was big overreach there. the um, government's looking for any excuse, climate change we don't even know if that's man made they're looking for any excuse to take more and more control. Uh, the government can say yeah, the church is not essential. You know, praise the Lord that Walmart's essential, but uh <laughs> I can still get my oreo cookies but uh but the church is not essential. Last time I heard, Jesus of Nazareth is still the head of the church. Not some guys in Washington D.C. Okay, King Jesus, he's in charge, and we take our uh, our marching orders from him. And uh, but uh, our faith can't grow without suffering. Uh, with the Thessalonians, their faith was being tested. Look at James chapter one. Verses two to four. And James says this, my brethren counted all joy when you fall into various trials. I don't know about you when things go bad in my life, that's not the first thing that comes to my mind. Wow, I'm experiencing a lot of joy now. But James says if he looks at things from God's perspective, that will be our response. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. It produced it in the Thessalonians. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, Lacking nothing. Well, wouldn't you want to be a a complete Christian that if you had a a report card and you looked at all the different things, say, you know what? I, I my character, I'm not perfect, but I excel in all the different areas and all. Well, you can't get that way without trials. Just like with our Savior, the suffering preceded the glory, so too with us. That's why Paul says in Romans eight eighteen that our present sufferings are nothing when compared with the future glory that will be revealed to us when Jesus returns. But this idea, no, we got to avoid suffering at all costs. Don't, don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying try to get persecuted. I'm not saying be that guy in the workplace who stands on the table and um, and holds up a sign and and screams at people, repent or go to hell. Uh, don't 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 be stupid. Don't bring persecution on yourself. But you be the Christian. Some of us are loud, some of us are quiet. But you be the Christian. God's called you to be, and then let the chips fall where they may. Okay, um, got a lot of Christians who are trying to win the the, the culture war. Don't give them, you know study political issues. Check out the sources that you're looking into. Try to vote wisely, but we lost the culture wars. This has not been a Christian. I don't think this has been a Christian culture since I was born. I was born the first day of 1960, and I joke around with people. I tell them that in Portuguese, my name means uh, "after this one comes the judgment." But um, but if it if it did, it would be pretty consistent. And so we're not in a post-Christian culture now like Francis Schaeffer said in the 1970s, like C.S. Lewis predicted in the 1940s in the abolition of man, we're in an anti-Christian culture. Our faith is going to be tested. And um, if you want to be popular? Uh, you probably shouldn't start out by worshiping Jesus. You want to be popular with the world. You proclaim the name of Jesus, you're going to be very, very unpopular With a lot of people, we live in a culture that doesn't love uh, Jesus. So our faith cannot grow without suffering. No pain, no gain. You know, we all want God to call us on a higher ground. Lord, magnify my ministry. Call me to higher ground. Um, And then we wonder, why is everything going wrong in my life now? You just told God you want to be used in a more powerful way. And God says, fine, I want to use you in a more powerful way, but you're not ready for it. I got to bring you to the end of your rope where I stretch your character, where you give up and you turn it over to me. And then I can stretch your character. I can make you more like King Jesus. But, you know, we all want to be like Jesus, but we want to kind of like be like Jesus without the suffering. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. and." Um, and uh, look at Matthew 5, 10 to 12. Matthew 5, 10 to 12. And a lot of people would probably say, I mean, I got some good compliments on Sermon Audio for people who enjoyed the series on the, the coming persecution. And... Uh, they, they thank preachers like me who have been sounding the alarm. I've been sounding for 30 years, but um, um, but I'm sure there's people out there, Christians out there say, oh, he's always talking negative stuff, coming persecution." persecutions, since five weeks talking about the, the coming persecution and, and this and that. Hey, uh, we're done with that series. Now I'm just preaching from 2 Thessalonians. And what's Paul talking about in God's word? Persecution. OK, so, I mean, if I got to pick and choose what I like about the Bible, what I don't like, I wouldn't preach on persecution. But the fact of the matter is, it's all over the pages of Scripture. That, you know, Jesus said, in John fifteen eighteen. if you find the world hates you, know it hated me before it hated you. Comes with the turf, brothers. Comes with the turf, sisters. You know, we're forewarned by the Lord. I'd be a false shepherd, a worthless shepherd if I didn't sound the warning that God sounds in his word over and over and over again. And um, But their faith, the Thessalonians, their faith was being tested. The Sermon on the Mount, everybody says they love the Sermon on the Mount. If, if people are not believers and they say they love the Sermon on the Mount, it just shows that they really didn't, didn't understand it, okay? By the way, I went through it the other day. I don't have time to do it right now. Seven different times, Jesus implies that he's God in the Sermon on the Mount. And, uh, and Gandhi said he loved the Sermon on the Mount, but he said, if he's God, I couldn't accept that Jesus is God. If he's God, then I'm God too. But if I'm not God, then he's not God. Dude, you don't like the Sermon on the Mount then. You don't even understand what it means, okay? And, um, but... Matthew 5, you know, the Beatitudes, we love the Beatitudes. They sound so nice until you figure out what they mean. Um, Matthew 5, 10 to 12, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know, we we pray, God bless me, God bless me and bless my family. Well, watch out, what you're praying for? Because the way God defines us being blessed and the way we define it are often two different things. I might be saying, God bless me. Give me a $400,000 home with five cars in the driveway, maybe even a boat, put a life preserver in there because I can't swim. Um, You know, give me a job making a quarter million dollars a year, stuff like that. That, That's what I might be praying when I'm saying, bless me. But God might say, man, you don't even know what, what being blessed means. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Maybe some of us aren't being persecuted uh, for righteousness sake because we're just keeping our mouth shut. So we're trying to be secret, secret agent Christians, okay? Verse, uh, verse 11, blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You know, some of us pray that God takes us. I think all of us. I pray God takes suffering away. But sometimes what I don't realize is I may be asking God to take away blessings. I may be asking God to take away some of my heavenly rewards. Okay. You know, again, it's a general rule, the more a person suffers for Christ, the more rewards in heaven he or she will receive. And um so, you know, with the persecuted church, whenever they ask me to pray for them, they always say don't pray that God takes away our suffering. Pray that God strengthens us and is with us and comforts us in the midst of our suffering. Um so their faith was being tested, and it was growing because of their suffering. And so they're blessed. They're going to get great rewards in heaven, okay? Um, and, um, but we also prove our faith by our love for the brethren. Uh, look at John chapter 13 and verse 35. John 13 and verse 35. We'll look at John 13, verses 34 and 35. Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. And you say, wait a minute. He gave that command before. Even the Old Testament said we should love our neighbors ourselves. He says, no, I'm giving you a new commandment. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. So now it's not, okay, I'm supposed to love my neighbor as myself. No. We're supposed to love one another now as Jesus loved us. It's like putting others' needs before your own. It's being willing to lay down your life and die for others. Jesus said greater love is no one than this, that one laid down his life for his friends. New commandment I give to you that you love one another, as I loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Uh, I'm I'm telling you, I I believe in apologetics, defending the Christian faith. The Bible commands us to defend the Christian faith. The Bible talks about evidences for God and evidences for the Bible and evidences for Jesus. Okay, The early church defended the faith. But the number one apologetic, the number one defense of the faith, according to Francis Schaeffer, and I think he got it right, is our love for one another. OK, if nonbelievers walk in today and they see us fighting with each other, they're not going to come back. He like said, why would I why would I come and see these Christians fight when I can go to a bar on Friday and Saturday nights and see a way better fight than this? OK, Um But if they come here and see us genuinely loving one another, you know, Satan can counterfeit that. The bartender wants to sell sell you more beer so he can tell you he loves you and listen to your problems as you're whining and complaining to him and stuff like that. But the church has access to real, genuine, agape love. And we're to love one another, not as ourselves, but love one another as Christ loved us. And this will prove to the world that we're his disciples. You know, you got, you got all these different postmodern communities, like L- LGBTQ+, and the gay community, and the radical feminist community, and you've got all these different, uh, different so-called communities, but they're all collectivist. Socialism, uh, Marxism, uh, people are only important collectively. So, the Joseph Stalins of this world could slaughter great numbers of people and say, I did it for the sake of my people. He lying through his teeth, but that's what he would say. But the only place you're going to find true community is in a community that recognizes that there are no worthless people. A true community that recognizes we were all created in God's image and no fallen. God, the son became a man and died on the cross for our sins and provided salvation for us. Um, you can only have in that true community where the individual was created by God and the individuals of infinite worth that then you can have human rights like life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Um, Collectivism today, with the postmodern narratives and the each community gathering around its own narrative, its own story, there's total intolerance for anybody who disagrees with them. Okay, and um, it's a scary time to stand up for what is right. And uh, but whatever the case, uh, we're called to love one another, and so in this world that has all these different postmodern communities where they really don't love the individual and the individual really doesn't have any rights, really doesn't have freedom of religion or freedom of speech anymore. We're supposed to show the world what true community is like. We're supposed to show the world. And, you know, Trinity Bible Fellowship, we will show our community if we grow in faith and we abound in love towards one another. Now, people will say, well, these are the people gathered around the truth. They don't want the fake news, but I get little freebies from the fake news. Okay? And maybe the government will pay you to make bad decisions They give you little checks, take from the producers, give to the non-producers. and um, And then the government owns you. The state deifies itself. The state becomes all-powerful and all. And so maybe most people say, no, that's what I want government's going to provide me a living wage someday if I just do whatever Big Brother tells me to do. And one of the things Big Brother tells me to do is don't preach Jesus. And we're going to be that alternative, that subculture, that alternative community but that is a true community of love. Some people will be drawn to God through that. Some people will want to see us dead. Because of that, it doesn't matter. We preach Jesus. He died for us. We live for him. And if need be, we suffer and and die for him as well. And so we prove our faith by loving the brethren. Look at 1 John chapter 4, verses 20 and 21. How many times have we heard from our friends, I don't go to church. I believe, but I don't go to church because there's a bunch of hypocrites there. Why do I pray that God anoints me to preach his word? Because I don't perfectly obey God's word. I feel like a hypocrite. So to one degree or another, we're all hypocrites. Only Jesus was not a hypocrite. He happened to be God incarnate. And uh, But we got a lot of people saying, oh, I... I I love Jesus. I just don't like Christians. I don't like hanging around. They get on my nerves. A bunch of hypocrites, obnoxious people. And um and so John had this to say about people like that in first John chapter 4, 20 and 21. If someone says I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him. That he who loves God must love his brother also. See, don't, don't be telling people, I love Jesus, I don't, I just don't, I just hate Jesus' people. Okay? If you love Jesus, you're gonna love Jesus' people. And I'm not I'm not saying because we're so lovable. God doesn't love us because we're so lovable. God has the ability to love that which pretty much looks like it's on, totally unlovable. Okay? And um, and so uh, here in the midst of their suffering, their love for one another grew. I mean, what, what's the temptation when uh, when they're suffering and judgment coming? And persecution, what's the temptation? Temptation is like, hey, you know. Uh, I tell you what, if you let me go and let me keep my job and we'll keep it a secret that I'm a Christian, I can give you a names of 10 of my uh, 10 of my church members okay the Bible says in the last days that's going to go on okay and, um, and so as long as you're the the narc who rats out your other Christian buddies you can just keep doing what you're doing that's the temptation uh, uh, Paul says man these guys are being persecuted and they're not throwing their, their brothers and sisters under the bus If it comes down to you or another brother or sister getting caught preaching the word, are you going to say, "Hey, I'll give up myself to save that brother"? And um, but during a time of suffering and persecution, we look. I mean, we're going to have potluck today, and we're going to love on each other. That's great, but um, how much we're going to love on each other when there's persecution going on? Okay, our faith has not yet been tested. American church is very, very spoiled. There's going to be a testing, a time of testing, that will come upon this land. And uh, but Paul brags about the patience, the endurance. You don't learn patience if everything goes your way. Everything's got to go south for all of a sudden you to have to have patience in the midst of suffering. But he bragged about their patience, their endurance, their faith, and their love in the midst of suffering and persecution. Now, in uh, verses 5 to 10, Paul's going to comfort them, comfort the Thessalonians during their trials. And so what we'll do is we'll just read that, but we'll go over it uh, next week, in next week's sermon. So look at verses 5 through 10. He's talking about the tribulations that you endure, which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer. See, most of us, there's no evidence that's been manifested that we're worthy of the kingdom of God because we haven't suffered enough, okay? Now, I'm not saying you're not a believer if you haven't suffered. And and, and by the way, man, I I tell you, I just, I praise God when I see, like, I can remember people who were, lived lives of suffering and pain, and they still praise Jesus. And all, for a long time, all I, could, all I proved was that I could praise Jesus while I'm healthy and well-fed, okay? And now you, know, you get sciatic nerve pain, you get a little bit of suffering, but it's nothing compared to some of the suffering of uh, people who've gone through this church, how they went through suffering. I've seen saints from this church dying and still praising Jesus. Each and every day, I'd prepare messages to preach to them. And then I go visit them in the hospital and I just keep my mouth shut and listen to a sermon from a suffering saint. Okay, Because God was bringing them closer uh, to himself. But, you know, what evidence is it that that our faith is real? Has our faith even been tested? American church, we just want to avoid suffering at all costs. Jesus, the biblical perspective, is those who are persecuted for his name will receive great reward in heaven. Some of us are saved, but because we, the number one goal is like avoid suffering, avoid suffering, we're going to be losing a lot of heavenly rewards. You, you be all that God called you to be. And if the suffering comes, it's like I've told, you know, I've told plenty of people who disagreed with me. I said, well, look, you, you do what you think you got to do. And I'm going to do what I think I got to do. But I serve the crucified and risen Savior. And so you don't like that? And you want to get rid of God's people? Well, if you can find me, I'm not fast anymore. I don't even know if I can hide. But you can find me, you got me, and I'll preach Jesus in prison. Put me in solitary confinement, I'll get a real good devotional life. But um, but he says, uh, the evidence is manifest of the righteous judgment of God that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer, since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you. So those who persecute the church, if they don't repent and come to Jesus, they're going to be repaid. And to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels uh, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God. This passage is one of the reasons why I've never accepted the pre-trib rapture. I believe the church will go through suffering. This is not a secret. When, When Jesus gives relief to the church, it's not a secret coming. There's no secret phase to the second coming of Christ, seven years before the second coming of Christ. He's going to give us rest when the Lord Jesus is revealed, not in secret, is revealed in heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire with vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then is he, is he going to punish them just with a seven year tribulation? No, he says, These shall be punished with everlasting destruction. So when Jesus comes back to rescue the church, he's going to punish those who've been persecuting the church with everlasting destruction, not a seven-year tribulation. This is after that. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. When he comes in that day, one day, rest to the church, and punishment on those who oppose the church when he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints and to be admitted among all those who believe because our testimony among you was believed. And so we'll look at that where Paul comforts them during their trials and he's saying, look, you suffer right now. Okay. So I'm preparing, I'm trying to prepare Christians for the suffering that's going to come American church. Um, But Paul comforts them. He says, your suffering, your persecution you suffer is proving your faith is real. It's evidence that you really do belong to King Jesus. But if you're suffering persecution, you need to rejoice because you're blessed, because your rewards in heaven will be great. Let me tell you, I know I don't deserve to go to heaven. You, if you're saved, you know it too. And I know—I I thought I had a big name back in Jersey. I was—I was, I was Ferno. Me and my brother, we were the Ferno brothers. We were tough guys. We were the boxers, and we knew figured out how to manipulate people. And we thought we were real cool. Marine Corps. They care less who I thought I was, but deep down inside, I knew if you had to have one word to describe Phil Fernandez, first 21 years of his life. That word is loser. I was the embodiment of the word loser. And so finally at age 21, when an ex-convict shared the gospel message with me, it was the most humiliating thing I ever heard. Now, I was seeking the Lord through the power of the Holy Spirit, but I had reached a point where I wasn't quite sure about the gospel message. And he told me, if you get what you deserve, you've earned the flames of hell, the eternal flames of hell. Now, Jesus died on the cross for your sins, rose from the dead to conquer death for you. If you trust in him alone for salvation, you'll be saved. And um, and so I'm telling you, trust in Jesus and then serve Jesus. Love God with everything you got. Love your neighbor as yourself. And trust in the Lord Jesus for guidance and power to live out your lives serving the Lord be willing to suffer, to suffer persecution. Uh, we don't have an exemption from it. The American church doesn't have an exemption that the rest of the world doesn't have either. Um, if you desire to live godly lives, you will be persecuted. And so let's be like the the Thessalonians, so people could see us. They're, they're going to watch us not just when things are going good. They're going to watch us when we're suffering. And will they see? patient Christians whose faith and love abounds. It's my prayer for Trinity Bible Fellowship and the American church is that what the, that would be what the world will see. King, King Jesus, he loves you. He died for you. Just live for him. And if that means someday suffering and dying for him, to him be the glory. Paul could say for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, in Jesus' precious name, we just, we just love you, Lord, and we thank you for all the freedom and the prosperity and the blessings that we've had here in America for so long. But sometimes we think that that's just uh, the way it's going to always be. Uh, but there are things going on in our culture where more and more where Christian parents can't adopt children because they believe in the morality taught in the Bible and where Christian businesses are being shut down because they believe in the morality taught in the Bible or people who pray in public are often getting in trouble or sharing uh, the gospel in certain venues and on the street and they get in trouble. And so I just pray Lord that uh, you would show us that it's not us. The world doesn't hate us, but if, if the world hates you, your son and your spirit, They're going to take it out on us. And so I pray, Lord, that uh, you would build in us endurance and patience and perseverance. That uh, you would cause our faith and our love to abound in the midst of sufferings. That you remind us that when we sided with the Lord Jesus, since the world has declared war on Jesus, that um, we've enlisted in the battle against Satan against his demons, and against this evil world system. And so I pray, Lord, that uh, you would just call us to be what you call us to be. We're going to have to turn the other cheek. We're going to have to be willing to suffer for the gospel. We're going to have to pray for and love those who persecute us. So cause us, Lord, to be Christ-like and cause us to view suffering as an opportunity to become more Christ-like for your glory. I pray, Lord, that you'd equip us to be all you called us to be. So on that day when you take your stand upon the earth to make things right, we would not be ashamed. So may we live for your glory and build your kingdom and live for you and not ourselves. In Jesus' precious name we pray.